Just like negativity is contagious, passion and positivity is equally contagious. And I'm going to cultivate that any way I can. Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. You know, I usually start by telling you guys, whoever's listening to this, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to the sound of my voice and welcoming my guests and sit back, relax, because we've got a great show. But today I actually want you to do something different. Today we're going to talk about compassion and empathy and what's the difference between the two and what stops us from doing what we know is right and holding on to things that from research, from science, from medicine, all across these genres, these specialties, it tells us that when we don't embrace compassion, when we don't act empathetically to ourselves and to others, we have short-term and long-term consequences that just aren't in our own best interest. So how do we find a way to understand how to live in our own best interest? Well, a compassionate achiever is someone who attains success by helping others. This idea of helping people and a village and a tribe and supporting each other has long historically been what has made humans successful. Yet today, we seem to be in strife about that. Too many people seemingly believe that you have to take the survival of the fittest self-centered approach to life in order to achieve success. Statistical surveys and daily headlines tell us that we are living in an increasingly callous, uncivil, and self-absorbed world. If you look at the headlines or under the headlines and deeper into science, all the empirical data, as I said before, tells us that there's a better way of doing it. My guest today is Chris Cook. In fact, Dr. Chris Cook, who is the author of The Compassionate Achiever, co-host of The Compassionate Achiever podcast, and dean of, what is it? The Cormier. Cormier Honors College for Citizens, Scholars, and Professors of Political Science at Longwood University. He's also a Fulbright Scholar, member of Phi Beta Kappa, as well as a proud husband and father. He received his PhD in political science from Boston College and his BA from Boston University. Hmm, I think there's a story there. He was also an international security fellow at Harvard University's Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. Dr. Cook was a professor of political science and social science at Western Connecticut State University, founding director of its Center for Compassion, Creativity, and Innovation, and director of WCSU's honors program. His research and publications combine neuroscience with the social science and focus on understanding how weaving values such as compassion into our learning, civic, and business communities affect levels of financial, intellectual, and social capital. So if I say anything about Dr. Cook, Chris, it is, he's done the work, guys. 
let's just say and take a nice bow because you can't see me, but I am bowing. He has done the work. He has gone deeper. And I'm going to try really hard not to geek out because you know how I am. (laughs) How are you doing, Chris? (laughs) Uh, I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, let's have some fun. <laughs> yes. Oh, that, now you're talking my language. Now you're t- <laughs> so, you know, I don't usually say, you know, the first thing is tell us something about you, your story, et cetera. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear that. All right. All right. Basketball. <laughs> Before we got on here, he told a story about what's happening at his college, the men's and women's, and I love it. <laughs> yes. So this is the first time ever in the history of Longwood University. And remember, we're in Farmville, Virginia. And Farmville, Virginia is not very big, right? It's beautiful. And there's a lot to do for a small town. But we're also a small college. And we've never been to the NCAA dance, the tournament, neither the men's or the women's. And this year, they both made it. Yes! Yes! (laughs) And four years ago, the most wins they had was three. Right. And now the men won the championship in the Big South, uh, the regular and the tournament. And the women were co-champions of the Big South regular season and then won clearly the tournament. So they both are in the big dance. And shout out to both the men and women's Longwood basketball teams because they they did it. They made a dream a reality for yes. each one of them. And they are so well deserving. They are true student athletes. Mm -hmm. And to say that they are students first is a massive honor because especially in the women's side. um, And I think I told you, I I wear the women's gear uh, all the time, right? Because we have several women that that are players that are honor students. So they're in the Cormier Honors College. And you bet I'm going to rep, right? The the Cormier Honors Scholars. And I had a, a chance to really sit down with the coach of the women's team and and I'm a big fan of hers. And she believes me. Oh, Rebecca Tillett. Yes. <laughs> Remember that name, Coach Rebecca Tillett, because she's, I think she's a coach's coaches, but I also think she's a great teacher. Mm-hmm. And I think every great leader is a great teacher. Mm-hmm. And Coach Tillett is, she's everything. Mm-hmm. She's all that plus some. And she, before practice, they literally do mindfulness training where they focus on themselves and how they can better themselves to better the team. Mm-hmm. Every time she talks, it's about each, each player, but how they fit into the team, mm-hmm. how the puzzle creates this beautiful tapestry of basketball. And she, she makes it happen on the court. And I am such a big fan of hers, but also Tradesia Smith. We call her Day-Day. And Denise, when she goes lights out, when Day-Day goes lights out beyond the arch, that three-point arch, it means night night for the opposing team, right? <laughs> day day means night night. And it is, it's it's a thing of beauty. And then we have Akila Smith, who is this unbelievable. She was the Big South player of the year, defensive player of the year. And in the first game of the NCAA tournament, right? All the national shows are like, why don't we know this basketball mm. player? And she is, she deserves all the accolades. But then you have, you know, Kyla McMakin. You have so many great, it's like a full, team full of stars. Yeah. But I really believe those stars were cultivated by Coach Tillett. Yeah. And those stars don't see themselves as the key, as the only star in the sky, right? They create this, like, like the Big Dipper. They mm-hmm. create this, they created this big dance together. 
Yeah. And those different stars interacting with each other, not trying to take it all on themselves. And it, it's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. It's leadership in motion and it's leadership on the court by everyone involved. Yeah. Oh my God. Such a great story. And you know, it, it, it's these kinds of stories that don't all don't get the headlines, right? Because right. they're not flamboyant. They do the work, you know, but imagine, you know, in my mind, I see this entire team walking through this moment of mindfulness day in, day out, every play, every practice, how they think, how they understand how they're connected in the universe among themselves, the energy that they produce among themselves out of it. And I wonder how hard it's going to be when they leave this beautiful um, garden to go to work, you know, and I'm sure they're going to do well. They're going to get, you know, they're going to get the, you know, big knocks on the doors, et cetera, in their chosen field. And they're in this group, in this area where that's not the norm. No, You know, culture eats everything. I think you're right. But. These are the types of leaders. I'm talking Day Day, Akila. I'm talking Kyla. They will positively affect the cultures that they go into. Mm-hmm. I think if they are in places that are negative, they're too bright a stars to have their stars dim. And to see them, when you walk into a, you know, the gym or the a room with them, and they see they light up like Christmas trees. And I don't think, I think, there are some people, you're right, they're going to try to unplug their lights, right? Well, and the practice to... is, you know, I don't know if it's the light as much as what keeps that light going, mm-hmm. in my mind, is the practice. And that's the piece that I think we forget, right? It's mm-hmm. not the result is the light. The result <laughs> is the brilliance. But the practice is the work. Yeah, but they live it day in and day out, right? They breathe it. And so it's almost like a fish in water. The, the fish doesn't know <laughs> about the water around mm-hmm. them. And I think that there's enough of that living day to day with with that practice that it just becomes second nature. Good. Right. That it just becomes who they are. And when they walk through this world, I put on social media before they played the game that the Longwood women's basketball team represents the best of us here at Longwood. Mm-hmm. They truly do. They when. Kyla, for example, in a press conference said, you know, what makes this team special? You know what she said? She said it was joy and love. And she goes, joy and love is what Longwood is. Mm -hmm. So it's not just on the basketball court. It's in the classroom. When student athletes say a university is full of joy and love, (laughs) you're breathing it every single day, right? Because she could have talked about so many other things. Yeah. But this is why I'm a huge fan of Longwood women's basketball. They not only say it, they live it, they practice it. So you're right, Denise, it's about the practice. But when you do it inside the classroom, when you do it on the court, when you're doing it in the D hall, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> when you're walking around and, and this is the reason I came here, you get to know every student. Yeah, It's not a manufacturing plant of education here. It's a cultivation garden. I love when you said it was a garden. Mm-hmm. We're cultivating citizen leaders and citizen scholars. But you know what? Those students are also teaching us mm-hmm. how it, the world can really be. Mm-hmm. Because they're not only listening to what we're saying, but they're practicing it, I think, even better than what the world is. And mm-hmm. so when they get unleashed on the world, I'm going to be one happy dude. 
Um, <laughs> the world is going to be a better place. <laughs> and isn't that what the essence of education is about? Amen. That's you know, it. We, we, we're, you know, caught up in this whole thing of what, what should we be teaching in the classroom? Mm-hmm. You know, should it be reading, writing and arithmetic? Or is it to be a good citizen, mm-hmm. to be a compassionate citizen? And as much as I want to go down that rabbit hole, and maybe we'll come back and go down that rabbit hole. Um, I'll go down any rabbit hole with you. <laughs> <laughs> I am the mad at her. Well, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, because I think somehow, you know, there's, I feel like there is a struggle between who we've been and who we want to be. And, you know, as a country, as individuals, and if, you know, our pandemic, our time in our homes, our time with our families hasn't done anything. I think it is, it was long enough, shocking enough that it caused us to have to figure out how am I going to go forward? And some people made it and some people are holding on to, you know, what used to be. And other people are trying to go through what I call the messy, muddy middle of becoming. And you know, the work that you're doing at Longwood, the work that you're putting out in your book, The Compassionate Achiever, the podcast, et cetera. I'd like to think, and even here, I'd like to think that what we're trying to do is create these beacons that when you're in that valley of despair, because you don't know where you're going to come out, because there is no roadmap, because you're confronting what used to be, and you're trying to figure out what must become so that we all become better. You need beacons. So talk to us a little bit because, you know, lots of people hear the word compassion, hear the word empathy, but I don't know that we really know what that means. And personally, in action and purposefully in action, what does that mean? Yeah. So for me, compassion is, if you look in a dictionary, it's considered a noun, mm-hmm. but I believe it's a verb. Mm-hmm. And it used to be considered a verb before the Victorians changed it. Mm-hmm. The Victorian age, they, they, got rid of uh, compassionating. And that used, Abraham Lincoln used the word compassionating. Shakespeare used Mm -hmm. the word compassionating. It's about action. It's about taking care of others, but actually doing something. It's not about pity. It's not about being a doormat. It's about, you know what? I like the phrase that Buddhists use. They have this phrase called fierce compassion, Mm -hmm. right? And it's, that's what I think of compassion. It's fierceness in a constructive way. And I had, I had some amazing grandmothers and one word I would describe is fierce, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but it was fierce love. Yeah. Right. They, they believed, you know, when you go in the, the messy muddle, I think we all go through that. Mm-hmm. And when you have champions, like I had in my grandmothers, they were fierce. They helped me get up when I was down and we all get down. I'm sorry. But if you don't think you are, and you think you did it by yourself, well, then you tricked yourself because no one's done it by themselves. Mm-hmm. No one has kind of succeeded or moved through life without the help of others, either a door opening, a hand to help you back up. We, there's always been somebody there. Yeah. And I think when we think of compassion, right, we, we need to think of it as a verb first and foremost. Mm-hmm. But compassion has, it's really a two-part definition. Compassion is this kind of 360 degree holistic understanding of the problem or suffering of another. That's the first part, right? It's seeking understanding. The second part is that then you have a commitment to take action to address that problem and alleviate that suffering. Mm -hmm. So it's a two-step dance. 
And that's the way I see it. I like to dance in the morning when I wake up. You know, you put on some, uh, I'm an old school guy. The first concert I ever took my wife to was Cool in the Gang. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Love it. Uh, yeah, with Run DMC <laughs> opening up for Cool in the Gang. Um, and and for me, I, it, that's the way I start the morning, right? It's about action. Yeah. And dance, even though I cannot do it very well, according to my sons, it's still what I like to do and, and to get me up and going. But Life is about action mm-hmm. and compassion is that. And, but empathy is simply having the same emotion or same feeling as someone else. There's no action attached to empathy. Mm-hmm. And what's really, really interesting, Denise, is uh, Dr. Tanya Singer mm-hmm. from Leipzig, Germany. She was the first person to find out, well, what's going on in the brain, mm-hmm. right? When we think compassionately and when we think empathetically. Mm-hmm. And this is what she found in a real simplistic way. I'm we have only a certain amount of time, so right. I'm not going to do her justice. So when she had people think in an empathetic way and she put them in an fMRI machine, this is fancy machine to see what parts of the brain light up. She found out that every single person, no matter what their background was, no matter who they thought they were, the neural networks of pain lit up when they thought empathetically. Mm-hmm. So you're releasing different types of neurotransmitters and hormones like cortisol, stress, mm-hmm. right? And then she had the same people go in to the fMRI machine and think compassionately mm-hmm. the way that we defined it. And what she found out is that no matter what your background was, unless you were a psychopath, um, which was that's off the table, that we all use the different neural networks, not the networks of pain like empathy, okay. but the neural networks of love. And so we're releasing neurotransmitters, we're activating neurotransmitters like dopamine, mm-hmm. uh, this high reward you know, sense feeling that we have and serotonin, this kind of uh, reducing anxiety level. Mm-hmm. So when we think compassionately, you're actually activating in your brain, really these, these neurotransmitters that make you kind of stand up, that mm-hmm. make you happy, that make you feel good. So when I hear compassion fatigue, it's like for some people, nails on a chalkboard, right? It's, <laughs> it's not compassion fatigue because when you're in love, like I, I'm been married to my wife for 34 years. Mm-hmm. I am madly. I know I married above me I, and I know mm-hmm. I am. I'm so in love. She doesn't burn me out. I'm not, I don't have fatigue. It's empathy fatigue. Passion oh. fatigue. Because when you're, when you're using empathy and a lot of people who go into the helping fields, like nursing, teaching, firefight, whatever it is, they are highly empathetic people. And I think we need to learn how to cook control that empathy so that it doesn't burn us down. I, I, I compare empathy to fire, mm-hmm. right? When you're in the Northeast and it's minus 10 mm-hmm. and you, you, that fire warms you up. No doubt yeah. about it. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty good. But what happens if that fire gets out into the rug? Mm. That's going to burn that house down. Yeah. Right. And that's what empathy is to me. Right. So I'm not saying empathy is completely bad. I think it can help in that understanding yes. that 360 but you can't let empathy run wild. Okay. Right? But compassion, let that baby run. Yeah. Let compassion run wild. Yeah. Don't let empathy run wild. Yeah. Right. Over identification. And yes. isn't that, that's very interesting because the way you explained it helps me understand why I can't watch the news all the time. In fact, I'm on a news blackout for the most of the time. I have a few apps that send me a, a headline or two. So I can be interested. It's kind of like a dipping in and out, dipping in and out. And I had someone this morning, um, coaching session this morning, and she said she woke up just burnt out, bad mood. 
And I said, well, what did you do? Well, I was binge watching CNN and the war and all of this other stuff. And I said, why would you do that before you go to bed? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that'll give you nightmares. <laughs> I said, yeah, I was going to say, it seems like a recipe for not getting a good night's sleep. You know? and, uh, I, and I think this idea of empathy is the actual thing that burns us out might help explain why, you know, we, we are tired of the constant, ain't it awful mm-hmm. stream oh, yeah. that we keep getting over and over again and, and not being able to plug into, I need to be able to do something about it. You know, when you're talking about plugging in, I, I think of, I, I like to use the example of the difference between empathy and compassion when someone is in a hole, falls in a hole and it's a really deep hole. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, empathy is that you look down in the hole and you're like, oh, and you jump in the freaking hole with them. Okay. Now you're both. Now you're both in the hole. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I, I call empathy kind of an like emotional quicksand. Mm-hmm. It can just take you down. Compassion is like you look down the hole like, oh, man, I need to help. You go get a ladder. You go get a rope. And then you help that person out. But they're also helping themselves out. Mm-hmm. And that's what compassion does. It finds a way to help people. But you're helping them help themselves out of it. Where empathy, you're just feeling the same emotion. So you're jumping in the hole. And so, yeah, of course you're going to get down. I don't care who you are. If you're going to jump in that hole, it gets dark mm-hmm. and it gets dark quick. And, mm-hmm. and for all of us, we can fall into those holes. And you can think that, you know, anyone can think they're as strong as they, they can be. But I've seen the biggest people go down the hardest mm-hmm. uh, and fall down those holes. And if we can help people out of those holes without getting into those holes, that's, what, that's compassion. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that sounds good. You know, one other thing that I noticed and taking it a little bit, you know, how we got hooked up was this article you wrote uh-huh. called Why Diversity Training Don't Work. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the Empty <laughs> of Empathy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the thing that struck me the most was empathy is biased. Push it is biased, pushing us in a direction of parochialism and racism. We, all human beings, tend to be more empathetic to people who look like us and have similar backgrounds relative to people who we deem to be different. Yes. First of all, I want you to tell me a little bit about that. But the other side of it is, isn't there a level of like relaxation when you're with people who are just like you? Yeah. You know, I think for the most part it is. So let me get into something that I had the good fortune in a lot of my universities to take students to different countries. Okay. Right. So, you know, winning grants to understand I have, I focus on water resources around the world because I think water should be a human right. Mm-hmm. It's not in this world and including this country. Water is considered an economic good. But I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Denise, you, me, in seven days, we don't have water. We die. Mm-hmm. I, I, if it's not a human right, I, I don't know what. What is how we define uh, human rights, right? Right, right. <laughs> but that's that's for another show, um, <laughs> right? Between economic goods, that's another rabbit hole. And and the reason I bring that up is that when I take students around to other countries, one of the first things that I do and model is I try to learn the language, mm-hmm. and I because learning the language gives you an insight mm-hmm. into the culture. And I think the variety of cultures that we have in this world is the beautiful mosaic that makes up the world. Mm-hmm. And the languages are not only symbolic of that mosaic and those, those beautiful differences, but gives us, I think, 
a lot of cool ways to address problems that when we're stuck in our own cultural perspective, when we think from a different language or a different culture, oh, all of a sudden there's a solution or yeah. even yeah. better, a better question. Yeah. Right? I'm an E.E. E. Cummings kind of guy. I think there are better questions. And so when you have more of those tools and cultures provide those tools. So, for example, when I, we went to Vietnam to study the privatization of water, I consider myself Vietnamese. I'm a dual citizen of Estonia and the United States. But when I'm in those countries, I abide by those ideas, the spirit of what those cultures are trying to emanate mm -hmm. from, from their boundaries. For me, it's not only a constant learning experience. So I feel like I'm always a student. I could be a dean. I could be a professor. But if I'm not first a student, then I don't know what I'm doing as a dean. As long as we keep our student hat on all the time and we're mm -hmm. constantly learning, mm -hmm. that that's it. And so for me, th this idea of learning from different people about how they see the world gives us opportunities to then address problems that we're facing, but also maybe more broader societal issues. Mm -hmm. This is why, why I came to Longwood. It's about civic leadership and being a citizen that constructively addresses some problems. You can do it respectfully. You can do it honestly. You can do it sincerely. And will you make mistakes? Uh, yes, we all make mistakes. But if you're coming at it from a place of compassion, mm -hmm. I think people, when you make those mistakes, are like, okay, you didn't do it this way, but here's a different way of going about doing it. Right. There's an open dialogue that, that happens. And so when you use it empathetically, yeah, you feel more comfortable with people who look like you, Mm -hmm. But that also then reinforces your own biases. And so for me, when I, I have a chance to go to a different place, to learn something different, to learn uh, new music, for example. Right. Um, oh, my gosh. I, I feel like it's the best bag of potato chips I could eat. Can you eat just one? No, <laughs> no way. Not me. And, and so when I'm in a culture like that and then I hear the music, oh, my gosh. I, mm -hmm. It just happened around here in Farmville. It wasn't a religious de denomination that I, I belonged to. But on Sunday, one Sunday afternoon, I was running around this church and it was the best music I ever heard in my entire life. And it touched, it touched my heart, but it tickled my soul. And yeah. I couldn't stop. I ran a, about two miles around this church <laughs> just so I could listen to the music and the beautiful voices that were coming out of it. And it, it, it was, and I told the gentleman who, who was in the parking lot attendant, I said, sir, I'm coming back around every single time just to listen. He goes, son, you can come on in. Right? <laughs> you don't have to wait in the parking lot. <laughs> right? I think we fail to appreciate the differences because we're so comfortable in the things that we already know. Yeah. And if the, that comfort limits our learning. Mm -hmm. And I tell students, if you're comfortable learning with me, we're doing something wrong. Mm. We, that you should be out have, of here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. yeah. You have to I be agree. a little more comfortable, but you yeah. have to enjoy that. You have to embrace it. It's kind of like I love whitewater rafting, Denise. And if you could see my computer monitor, my mm -hmm. background image is my family on a whitewater rafting trip. Okay, I, I love when our raft goes sideways. Oh. Right? <laughs> we actually on the last trip we lost my wife overboard. I, oh. I yanked her. I yanked her right back in the boat, but she was so excited. And that's what learning should be. But learning not just in the classroom should be that way in life, yeah. learning from each other. And, and that, that article I wrote, those diversity trainings 
are usually one and done things. Mm -hmm. And they're the most boring trainings Mm -hmm. that you could possibly do. I don't know how many people are learning from that. My guess is zero Mm -hmm. are learning from those things because I I think that, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about the learning. So I want to break that down because I think we, we don't know what learning is and the Mm. best leaders I've ever worked with were the best learners because there's, there's, you know, you talked about this uncomfortableness in the learning and being in there and, and it, and they were very, they were very comfortable being curious and showing up as, I don't know all the answers. You just said that. What does that mean? Kind of thing where that's not what we promote in business and in life, a learner, you know, a leader is supposed to know everything. Suppose, I mean, I started with, you know, you've done the work, you did all the work, you're the expert, I'm bowing down to you. But in that, I, I've neglected to say that you're the best learner, which makes you a great leader out of this. And, and I think that's the piece that we don't spend enough promoting, you know, and once you, you know, we hire people when, you know, I'm, you know, I do interviews, I do all of this, they come across as the expert and they know it, and the value is in the knowing it, not in the questioning, the curiosity of it all. And 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 I think that's the piece out of when I when we talk about not just diversity training, but particularly diversity training. What we do is we go into this empathy hole, and we forget how to come back and have the compassionate hole. Because what I experience in most of those trainings, or the ones that are most prominent, yes. is that. Everybody gets in and, you know, which, okay, guys, you can't see, I'm a black woman. I'm about five foot two, three on a good day without heels. You know, I am shapely. Okay. <laughs> I recognize as, you know, she, her, hers, you know, uh, cisgendered. I'm, you know, that that's it. Okay. That's me. Dark skin, black. So I'm not, you know, light skin. I'm dark skin, but I'm talking to this guy. Describe yourself, Chris. Well, it's, I think some people would say I look American, right? Whatever that American is, um, dirty blonde, blue eyes, bow tie and uh, round glasses, but I'm the son of an immigrant. Mm. My father came over on a boat that my grandfather built from the country of Estonia mm-hmm. to escape communism, to mm-hmm. escape the Soviets, uh, which Estonians were enslaved and put in prison camps, um, including some of my relatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just happened within this generation. Yeah. Um, right. That it and people make assumptions. And I was stationed down south when I was in the military. And one person, and I'm trying to be kind, um, thought I was of a certain way and gave me this apartment. And I could tell what uh, he was like. And then I waited till I signed the lease and I said, you know, this is a great thing that you're doing this for, you know, for me. I'm the son of an immigrant. And he took a step back like I was some type of plague. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes, what? And I explained that, you know, my dad literally came over on a boat uh, to, to come here. And I think we all make assumptions about people by their looks without getting to know who they are and the joy that's inside each and every one of us that's waiting to get out so that we can learn. Mm-hmm. And it really, we hurt ourselves as a, not just as people, but as communities and as a country, when we define ourselves by the way we look, rather than define ourselves by the values that we want to act upon, mm-hmm. the values that we follow. And for me, if someone was to ask me to describe 
myself, I'm a compassionating former surfer dude who loves everything about life. And if you're not into compassion, then you're probably not going to like me. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because I'm going to talk about compassion and what we can do for each other. Because we're only as strong as our weakest links. And if our weak links are going down, guess what? We're tied to each other. We're social animals. Darwin was right. Mm-hmm. On a lot of things. He was right on compassion too. Yeah. He said it was one of nobody talks about, right? Oh, yes. Right. But we're all tied to each other. And if a part of our humanity goes down, we go down. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we think we live in little bubbles and separate holes. Uh-uh. And if anything, the military taught me, we're all in the same foxhole together. We just don't realize it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have each other's backs, then we're all going down. Yeah. And compassion is that way of moving us forward. And I, I remembered talking with you on the phone. I felt like you were a sister I didn't get to meet yet <laughs> after we were done. <laughs> I, 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 it was, I looked down on my watch and we were way beyond time. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about rabbit holes. <laughs> and, and I don't think we give ourselves enough chances to do yeah. that. And, you know, what you do in your podcast and what you do in your work you open up doors for people so they have chances to do that. And so when you asked me to do this, I jumped on it. And yeah, I got busy, but I was like, we're still doing this and we're going to make this happen. And it's because of the interaction that we had together. Mm-hmm. I felt like I went back to my wife. And I was like, oh my God, this Denise, if we ever meet in person, I don't think they're going to be able to separate us. I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I often have that effect. It's, it's a okay, let's talk. Let's geek out. You know, and I, I try not to geek out on the show because, you know, I could I could talk to me about this fMRI thing and what, what scan actually you know, I was looking at brain scans and <laughs> but that's the beauty, right? it's It's about learning from each other, but being oh, yeah. open to saying you don't know something. Yeah, 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 tell me, okay. tell me, tell me. The other thing is, you know, because part of this is just how we think about it, but in think about ourselves how we think about ourselves, but I, I also want to talk a little bit about how we think about and work in organizations just before mm. things get cloudy here. And the article really was about, you know, how we think about and how the systemic things that HR puts together that causes us to not have compassion, to not have each other's back, to promote the idea of it's lonely at the top. You know, that I mean, we create this whole kind of of uh, individualistic kind of thing. And yet the great resignation, when you look at the data up under that, and there's some interesting things that are coming out of it now, um, some researchers are doing some very interesting things about it. What we find is the reason people are saying goodbye to these organizations is because of this, you know, be by yourself, doggy dog, this idea that, you know, there's one person who has all the answers and the rest of y'all just do what we say, right? Kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. The, it's not okay to not know in an organization, you know? And so the, you know, the whole performance, even if, even when it comes down to, I mean, I've seen, you know, this move from the annual performance to biannual performance to now there's a push to do it monthly or more feedback, et cetera. But it's, it, you know, in my coaching of executives, it still is catching people doing wrong. It's still the reason I'm coaching you right now is because the project is off. The reason I'm coaching you now is because you didn't da, 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 da. When I get them to shift to start thinking about, it's not that the result is the project is off 
track. They're not doing the work. What you have to ask them about is what's going on. What's causing you not to do it and to deal with things like so-and-so told me and then they didn't do it. Or I asked for your help and you didn't show up. Or, you know, I watch your feet. I, I hear what you say, but I really watch your feet is one of my favorite sayings, right? And so I asked leaders, I said, you know, look at your calendar for last month. How many times did you cancel a meeting at the last minute because you were running over and you didn't follow up again? How many times did you walk down the hall? Somebody said, hey, I need something from you. And you say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then you never get back to them. Those are all broken moments of trust. Those are all broken moments or moments that you define that you're too busy. You don't support me. You don't care about me. What would you do different? No, I do do different. I, I, I do uh, something called job crafting. Okay. Um, for me, when, all right, so there are job descriptions, right? And HR has them and every organization has them. Right. But that's not the limitation, right? That is one part of it. So for me, for each of uh, staff members, including faculty, that, yeah, you have this part of the job that you have to do. But what also drives you? Mm-hmm. What gets you going? What, what's your passion fruit? <laughs> you know what? 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 And we'll craft it into the job. Yeah. And they're stunned. And when I came here, I said, we have one staff member. She's amazing. Her name is Jessie Zanosco. And she's our senior director of the Cormier Honors College. And she has a three-year-old. And she cares about uh, daycare and the schooling for young kids. I said, well, we can craft that into it. And she goes, into the honors college? I said, yes. I said, just because it doesn't seem like it directly connects, it's still about learning. And I said, and if the community is strong, the sense of community and learning will be strong too. Mm-hmm. And so what she's done is she and she's teamed up with other parts in the university because I've got her back that will create better opportunities and avenues to attract teachers, for example. Mm-hmm. And now she's working with the School of Education and making sure that those students get opportunities. Uh, the local school districts are now in it. Mm-hmm. And guess what she does? So she's doing that and her job performance increase. Mm-hmm. And supposedly, right, she has this something extra, but she doesn't see this as something extra. Right. She sees it as a part of who she is. Mm-hmm. And to me, Jesse has been a Ferrari in a garage that wasn't allowed to get out of first gear. Yeah. She is super brilliant. She's talented and she thinks holistically, but she was never allowed to do that. In my opinion, mm-hmm. I was letting that Ferrari run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You get that and let her find all the mm-hmm. gears that she has. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we have staff meetings, I start off with how each of the staff would approach uh, the issue, not how I would approach it. And so at the end, it, recently at one of them, I, I started off one way and the entire staff felt comfortable enough that they all thought the other way. Guess where I went? Mm-hmm. I went where the staff went. Okay. And the staff actually did a job that I never thought was even possible. Right. Because their arguments were all different. But I was thinking one way because of an experience I had before. But they saw different opportunities in other areas of the university that I did not know about, but they did because of friends or previous experience. And I would be an idiot not to tap into that knowledge, thinking that I had the knowledge mm-hmm. uh, from my previous places. Mm-hmm. So I think everyone has a piece of knowledge and it's, it's like a chessboard. Where do you put those pieces? 
Now, if there was an overriding factor that said I had to do it this way because of a certain law, yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, I knew yeah, about yeah, that they didn't yeah. know, yes, then I would have gone that way. But to be open enough that they knew I wanted something else, but they felt comfortable enough to say no because of X, because of Y, because of A, because of B. And then to put all those arguments together, it was a much better argument than I had in my head. Yeah. Right? And, and to let those Ferraris run. Um, and I, I think by job crafting, it taps into their passions so they can bring it to their job and be part of their job. And so now, you know, we have a whole avenue of students because we have honors students who are education majors. Mm -hmm. And now they're going to have an opportunity in the honors college to actually jump right into a school district to make a difference in a place that has some some issues. I think mm -hmm. every place has issues, but right. It's yeah, to address yeah. them. But yeah. The job crafted to allow your employers, your employees, your staff members to weave in things that they're passionate about that are connected to the job. Uh, and sometimes they have to convince you this is connected to the job, but be open to that convincing those arguments. Don't shut them down. And man, seeing their passion come out, it they can't just contain it into one little area. That passion then seeps into the other aspects of the job. And I'm sorry, just like negativity is contagious. Passion and positivity is equally contagious. And I'm going to cultivate that any way I can. And then job crafting is one of those ways. Wow. Okay. If someone wanted to continue this conversation or learn more about Longwood, if I can set aside money, I think I'm coming to Longwood. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking. <laughs> um, how do you get a hold of you? So you can go to longwood.edu and find me in the Cormier Honors College. You can go to, on the web, chriscook.com or thecompassionateachiever.com. You can find me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And actually, if you want to find me, call Denise. Uh, Denise, <laughs> Denise has my personal phone number. And, uh, and, uh, and so you, you can get through me through Denise as well. So um and if you use Denise's name, you know I'm going to connect you with you right away. So, um, there's a bunch of different ways you can get a hold of me. Uh, but, you know, Denise, hopefully we can reconnect again and, and, and dive through a couple of those rabbit holes that we brought up. You got it. You got it. All right, guys, you heard it here first. And you know what I'm going to say. If you liked it, share it. If you don't like it, share it. Because I promise you that in the conversation about what you heard, what you listened to, what you felt today, you're going to discover something new about yourself. You're going to discover something new and you're going to be a better learner and better learners. The best learners are the best leaders. So with that, you know, it's a wrap. See ya. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.